Heavenly Father, we know that we are strangers here on earth, that this world is not our home, that we are aliens here. Our citizenship is of another land. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us from your heavenly home, from our heavenly home, and not hide your word from us this morning. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to listen to what you have to say so that we can keep our eyes fixed upon the glory that is to come rather than keep our eyes fixed on worldly things and the the place that we live in now, which is not our home. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 today, as we've been studying this chapter together. Uh, Genesis 3 falls uh, after God has made the heavens and the earth in six days, seen that they're all very good, and then we see that he gave particular commands to our first parents, Adam and Eve. He made Adam and Eve, and then he commanded them in the garden that he put them in that they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them this command that they were to keep. And then Genesis 3 opens with Satan coming into the garden and tempting Eve, speaking to Eve, the first woman, speaking to her and asking her, about God's command. Satan gets her to question God's word in the way that he asks his question in verse 1 of Genesis 3. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's also lied to her about the consequences of sin. Uh, We see in verse 4 he says you will not surely die. And he's also, we studied last week, verse 5, we've also seen that he encourages the woman to think that there's something good by sinning, and that God's actually mean for cutting you off from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so this week we come to verse 6. Satan has done his worst, and we see the response of the woman in listening to Satan. What is her response? Well, she looks at the food that is on the tree, and she thinks it will benefit her. We see that in verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. She thinks it looks good. It's pleasing to the eye and it's good for food. And so what does she do? Well, she sees that it's desirable for gaining wisdom and she takes some and eats it. She falls. She disobeys God's command and eats what she is not supposed to eat, what God had forbidden. But she doesn't just eat it herself. She does something else. What do we see at the end of verse 6? It says, She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She doesn't just eat it. She then passes it on to her husband. Adam also eats of the fruit, which he is not supposed to take part of. And lots of questions arise from this text, and particularly this verse, Uh, Particularly, why does Eve give the fruit to Adam? Is it out of malice? Is she suddenly this great sinner and she wants Adam to fall with her? Is it out of kindness that she's actually wanting Adam to enjoy the benefits of sin that she has just experienced? Did she press the fruit upon Adam? Did she urge him, please take, take, take? Or did she simply pass it over to him? And why did Adam take the fruit? Where was Adam this whole time? We know that the text says that he was with her, but did he just show up towards the end of the conversation with uh, Satan? Was he there the whole time for the conversation with Satan? Was he beguiled by Satan's words as well? Or was it that he only arrived at the end and then Eve offered him the fruit? 
And why did he take it when he knows that it is forbidden? Did he use Eve as a human guinea pig? And so he watched her, she ate it, and she didn't die, as God had said. And so he thinks, maybe I can take part as well. So she was the first science experiment known to man. He watched and saw that it would be okay if I take part of it as well. Or was it that it was out of love for his wife that he took of the fruit that she urged upon him? Did he see that she had broken God's command and that things would happen to her and he knew that she would potentially be expelled from the garden, that God would be unhappy with her? And so he didn't want her to be expelled from him and so he wanted to spend time with her and so he wanted to be like her and took of the fruit as well. Uh, Milton, in his famous work Paradise Lost, actually proposes this, that it was out of love that Adam ate of the fruit. He says, Adam at first amazed by what she's done, but perceiving her lost, resolves through vehemence of love to perish with her and extenuating the trespass eats also of the fruit. So really what we have here is a first Romeo and Juliet, that one of them has passed away and the other chooses to die with the other person rather than continue life without that person. So there's lots of questions that come up from this verse as to how did Adam actually fall and what was Eve thinking in giving the fruit to Adam? But there's at least one definite lesson that we can take away from this. We've got lots of questions and I don't think we've got many definite answers to those questions that I've raised. But there's one definite lesson that we can take away from this text, and that is the danger of bad influences. The danger of bad influences. We see that Eve gave the fruit to Adam and he ate it, and he attributes his sin, in part at least, to her bad influence. We'll see later on as we continue studying Genesis 3 together that he will blame Eve for giving him the fruit. He sees her as a bad influence upon him, and part of the reason he ate is because of her influence towards him. And it's not just Eve that has had a bad influence upon someone. We see again and again through history that others have been influenced to do evil because of what people have given them. What people give you can lead you into sin, and it happens again and again through history. And we see it even in the pages of the Bible. We see a number of examples uh, as we study the Bible that people are given something that is bad from somebody else and they take it all too willingly and are hurt as a result. One example is with Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Turn with me to page 13 and we'll read this one together. Genesis 16, uh, page 13. Page 13 of the Black Church Bibles. And God has made a number of promises to Abraham. Uh, he's promised him that he'll have a big family, that he'll have, uh, he'll very, have uh, land, he'll be blessed by God, but his family, his big family, is not eventuating. He has a wife, they've lived together for uh, many years, and they do not have a child. And so what happens in chapter 16 of Genesis? We read, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai and his wife, Sarai his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar 
and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Here we see another example of a husband and wife, and a wife proposing something that is sin. She is proposing to her husband to sleep with another woman. And the husband agrees, and there are bad consequences as a result. It happens again and again through history. People can give you things that are actually bad for you. Another example is uh, given in 1 Kings chapter 12. Turn with me there now. 1 Kings chapter 12, that's page 342 of the Black Church Bibles. 342. 1 Kings chapter 12, page 342. So this event comes at the... um, There's a split in the kingdom. So basically the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've gone into the promised land. They've been there for some time. God has given them a King Saul. Then he's given them a King David. Then King David's son Solomon has been ruling over Israel, prospering greatly. And then Solomon dies at the end of 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon dies in 1 Kings chapter 11. At the end there we see that he passes away. In verse 43 it says, Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. So Rehoboam is now king over Israel. And we pick up the narrative there in verse 1 of chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam, the new king, he went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So this Jeroboam has been out of the country because Rehoboam's father, Solomon, didn't like him, and uh, now he comes back uh, because Solomon is dead. Verse 3, so they, that's the Israelites, sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, that's King Solomon's son, and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So the Israelites are saying, lighten the yoke that your father Solomon had on us, treat us well. And he says, I need some time to think about this. So he's asked the the elders who served his father what he should do. What do the elders propose? Verse 7, it says, they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So 
So he's got two lots of advice. The elders say, lighten the yoke. The young men say, increase the yoke. Treat these people with, uh, with great labor, with a heavy hand. What happens? Verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, that's the son of King Solomon, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So the Israelites say, that's the way you're going to treat us. We're going to get out of here. And Rehoboam only ends up with a small part of the kingdom that submits to him. What happens next? Verse 18, it says, King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Here's an example of someone giving bad advice to somebody else. These young men have said, this is what you need to do, and it's evil what they're proposing. Just as Eve proposed to Adam, eat this fruit, they're proposing treat the people under you, not with love and care as a servant over these people, but treat them badly. And what happens? There's consequences to the action there. Rehoboam sends out poor Adoniram to try and force the Israelites to obey him and they stone him to death and Rehoboam has to flee for his life and as a result the kingdom splits and that split remains until they go out into exile. And so it's a common thing. You see it again and again in the Bible and then through history for people to accept sin from others, whether it be another woman as we see with Hagar, or bad advice from others. There are so many things that are offered to us. We receive things from others all the time and we should respond rightly and not receive them. What should Adam and Abraham and Rehoboam have done to know that they shouldn't have taken what was offered to them? Well, they should have tested what was offered by the commands of God. They should have tested what was offered to them by the commands of God. We need to do a litmus test, basically, on everything that is given to us. I remember doing litmus tests in high school, in science, where you test different solutions to see how acidic or how alkaline uh, the, uh, the solution is, whatever liquid you have. And so you dip these little bits of paper in, and if it comes out red, it's acidic, and if it comes out blue, it's alkaline. And so you test these things to see whether they're dangerous to you or not. And so we as Christians, we need to do a godly litmus test, a litmus test on all that we receive to see if it's acidic and will actually eat away at us, whether it be physical things like food that is offered to us, substances, whether it's clothing, whether it's entertainment, whether it's jobs, whether it's money, whether it's books. 
Whether it's different types of knowledge, as we saw with Rehoboam there, he was given advice. We're given advice by all kinds of people, and we need to test whether it's actually acidic, dangerous, whether it's sinful to accept what that knowledge is that is given to us, whether it be science, philosophy, theology, even the small talk that you have with people can actually be quite dangerous. The things that you joke about with others, you think it's actually funny, but it's actually eating away at you because you're accepting such jokes into your mind. And it's actually going to do damage to you. So what is the litmus paper that you use to test what is given to you? Well, it's the pages of the scriptures, the pages of the Bible. That is how we test whether something is going to be helpful for us or hurtful towards us, whether something is sinful or not. We can't trust ourselves to know right and wrong. Adam and Eve fell, and they were in a better state than we are. How can we trust ourselves to know whether something that is offered to us, something that someone is giving to us, is actually right or wrong? It has to be by the Bible, by the Scriptures. These pages here are our litmus test to see whether something is acidic and dangerous for us. But how do we know to use the Bible? How do we use it as a litmus test for what comes into our life? Well, it's by knowing the laws that are given in it. If Adam had listened to the commands of God, if Abraham had considered the commands of God, if Rehoboam had considered the commands of God, they would not be in the danger that they were in. And so we have to know the commands of Scripture if we are to test what is going to be good for us and what is going to be bad for us. We need to know the laws of God. We need to study the laws. And a good summary of the laws in the Bible of God are, of course, the Ten Commandments. We need to study them and see whether they are applicable to what we are receiving into our lives. We need to study the Scriptures and use it to test what people give us. An example of people doing that in the New Testament is, of course, the Bereans, who are famous throughout history. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message, that's the message of Paul, with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. They were getting a new message. They were getting new information from this Apostle Paul and about this Messiah. And what did they do? Did they just accept it blindly? No, they looked at the Scriptures and they tested what Paul was saying with the Scriptures so that they would not accept something that might be acidic and damage them. They were seeing whether it would actually be helpful for them to accept the message of Paul. And so we should be examining the Scriptures, looking at the commandments of God, getting to know them so that we can live lives without burning ourselves with the acid of sin. An example from history that I, I love is of Ernest Resinger. Uh, he was a successful American businessman who was a very faithful Christian. One of the first Christian biographies I actually read as a young man, Ernest Resinger. He had a great influence on the North American church. Uh, this is uh, last century. And he had a construction business for 20 years. And, of course, he's got all kinds of people working for him, all kinds of things being given to him each day, uh, different jobs to do, and there's all sorts of uh, ways that he could have damaged himself, all kinds of sin offered to him. And so to practice biblical principles in his large construction company, he required prudent judgment, this is his biographer speaking, prudent judgment, wise and careful thinking, a gracious demeanour and a tenacious commitment to the morality summarised in the Ten Commandments 
and above all, it's to all its wisdom. And then he gives this quote. The biographer gives a quote from Ernie Resinger. Ernie Resinger says, I can truthfully say that in the 20 years in the construction business, I prayed more for wisdom than anything else. I read a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day, and that took me through that book each month. How did he know how to test the things that were happening in his life, in his busy construction business? It was by studying the Bible every day, and particularly the book of Proverbs. I'm reading the book of Proverbs at the moment in my quiet times, and it is phenomenally good. You forget each year somewhat, and you come back to it in your Bible reading plan, and you get into it, and it's, it's, it's incredible how applicable it is to our lives and how it reminds us of the dangers of things that come along. And we need the commands from God as to how to avoid these things that are dangerous for us. And Ernie Resinger had a good practice there of reading the book of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters, read a chapter a day. I don't know what you do on the months where there's 28 days or 30 days, but when there's 31 days for the month, then you can read the whole book. And it applies. And he was able to be an increasingly successful businessman because he had this litmus test of the scriptures on all that came into his life. And so we need to also be studying the pages of the word and looking specifically at the commands of God that are given to us. It was gracious of God to tell Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree over there, rather than just let them wander about in the garden and one day accidentally eat of that tree. No, he kindly said, don't eat. And he kindly, graciously says to us, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It'll hurt you. And so we should be studying the word. Particularly the Ten Commandments are very helpful and there's books that will help you to understand those better. Think of no more helpful resource than the Westminster Catechisms on the Ten Commandments. They have questions. They go through the Ten Commandments and the larger catechism is particularly helpful at letting you know uh, all the different ways that you could break one of those commandments. Not all of them, but they give quite a lot of ways that you could do it so that you can understand what is required by those commandments. But why should you bother testing for sin? Seems like a real hassle to read the book of Proverbs every day and to study the commandments of God. Why should we do it? Well, great disaster results from blindly accepting what is sinful. Great disaster results from blindly accepting what is sinful. Sin is like a terrible acid. I've said we need to use the pages of the Bible like a litmus test to test for the acid of sin, and it is a terrible acid. It eats through everything. Still remember a sci-fi movie, an old sci-fi movie, um, about aliens, and I watched it when I was younger, and there's this point where they actually cut into one of the aliens. They're doing like a surgery on someone that's got an alien stuck to them. They cut into this alien, and this liquid comes out of the alien, and it's acidic, and it just burns through the scalpel that was being used to cut the alien, and then it burns through the operating table, then it goes through the floor, and then they, they get really worried because they're in a spaceship in outer space, and they're really worried that the acid is going to burn through the hull. And so they keep going down the layers of the ship, and the acid just keeps coming through the ceiling. And it goes from one to the floor, and then burns through the floor and keeps going from this alien. This thing has this acidic nature to it, this acidic blood basically inside, and it keeps going down, and thankfully, after going down multiple levels, it stops burning through. It's worn out, and it doesn't get to the whole hull of the ship and penetrate it, so that of course, all the oxygen would be going straight out of the ship and they would die. Uh, the ship would be uh, broken up in space. That's the acid of sin. 
It breaks through us. It continues burning, burning, burning. We think that it's not a big deal to break God's laws, but it has far-reaching consequences. Just think of this little sin of Eve's of taking this fruit. It's not a big deal. I can take a bite and Adam will take a bite. And what happened? The whole human race fell. We are sinners today because of that one little sin so long ago. People have been dying for centuries as a result of that one little sin. The whole heavens and the earth will be destroyed one day because of that one little sin. The natural disasters we experience in this world are because of that one little sin. The acid of that sin has burnt and burnt through the millennia, hurting person after person after person after person. Just one little sin. Sin is acidic and it keeps on burning. We see the sin of Abram there with Hagar. One little sin, sleep with my maidservants, it's not a big deal. And then, of course, she gets pregnant and Sarai gets upset that she's pregnant, which was the plan all along. And before you know it, there's disagreement in the marriage between Abram and Sarai. And then, of course, Sarai's treating Hagar wrongly as her maidservant, sending her away, treating her harshly. And then, of course, the tension between the Ishmaelites and the Israelites down through the centuries are in part because of that one little sin of sleeping with the maidservant. And what about Rehoboam? Accepts the advice of the young men and before you know it, the kingdom split and is not restored. There's this ongoing split between the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah and the friction between them, the wars that they have. Because of that one sin of accepting some advice of some young men, you thought it wasn't a big deal, Rehoboam. But it was a big deal. That acid burnt through the nation and carved a massive hole between the brothers of Israel. Sin is serious. It is very bad. And it has far-reaching consequences. And we see that danger even today as well. You don't need to look at the Bible to do it. You can look at the lives of those around you. They think it's a little sin that they do. And it has far-reaching consequences. I'm reading a biography at the moment of a, a very famous politician in our country, and he has a chapter where he says, I messed up. And it's where he cheated on his wife. He said, if you told me, uh, I had a great conversation with my wife on the, throne, uh, on the phone about uh, our children. I was away from her at a national conference with other politicians, and I was an overweight man, middle-aged, who would actually be interested in me? If you told me six hours later I'd be in, the be in bed with another woman, I would have said you were mad. He said, but six hours later, after one too many drinks, and his marriage fell apart. And he was never the same politically after that. One little sin. Accept something from somebody and the sin burnt through his marriage, burnt through his life. Sin hurts. It is dangerous. How many marriages, how many wars have been blown apart? How many relationships have broken down between friends because of one little sin? that you have accepted from somebody else. One little piece of gossip about your friend you accept and it breaks up your friendship. So as Christians, we need to test what is given to us to see if it's acidic and will burn us. Children, 
Start reading the Bible while you're young. Learn the commands of Scripture. You can avoid so many acid burns if you just know God's word from a young age. If you learn the Ten Commandments, you start reading the book of Proverbs. You will learn to avoid so much of the damage that is done to others if you will just feast upon this word even while you are young. And if you're blindly accepting what others give you with no thought for the commands of God, you rarely do a litmus test on anything that is given you by the pages of Scripture, you're in a very dangerous position. The acid of sin is still eating away at you towards the hull of your ship and will one day lead to your destruction. If you're accepting whatever is given you blindly, without consideration for whether God approves or not, you're in a very dangerous position. You don't know what it is to trust in Jesus Christ and to have God as your king. And that sin is still eating away at you. But the wonderful thing is that Christ does neutralise the acid burns of sin. He neutralises them by his blood. By the blood of the lamb, the acid of sin is conquered. And you can be restored. If you trust in Jesus Christ this morning, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross, then his blood cleanses you from your sin and the consequences of sin eternally. The acid burns that you have received from sin are cleansed by his blood. How is that possible? Well, at the cross, if you trust in Jesus Christ, at the cross, the acid of your sin ate away at him, burning away at him at the cross, and it actually killed him. That is why Christ died, is because our sin was put upon him, and the acid of our sin burnt and burnt and burnt away at him, and he died. But the wonderful truth is that the acid of sin was not able to keep him dead, that he is the Son of God, and his death, his blood, is sufficient to pay for our sins, and he came back to life. And he will bring you back to life too, if you trust in him. He will give you eternal life even now. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, the acid of sin is still burning away at you and will bring about your eternal destruction. You'll be eaten away for eternity because of your sin now. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, then he gives you life now. He cleanses the acid burns of sin. And you can live eternally with him. So I encourage you, repent of your sins this morning and trust in Jesus Christ. Instead of accepting the sin of others, start accepting Jesus Christ. Start accepting the blood of Christ. Start accepting Jesus as the bread of life that hung on a different tree. Here in the garden we see a tree there that has death if you eat from it. But at the cross, another tree entirely, Jesus is there, the bread of life. And if you eat from that tree, if you trust in Jesus, you are eating from that tree and you can have eternal life. I encourage you, repent of your sins if you've never done it before. Trust in Jesus Christ and stop the acid eating away at your very soul. And then start to test things in your life. Start to read the scriptures Start to hold up the scriptures against everything that is offered to you and see whether it is actually acceptable in God's eyes for you to receive what someone is offering you. 
Don't be an Adam anymore and accept from Eve. Don't be an Abram and accept from Sarai. Don't be a Rehoboam and accept from young men, blindly, blindly whatever they say because you've grown up with them and you're good friends with them. Look at the scriptures and compare it to what people are saying to you. And keep on looking to Christ to help you with the acid burns that you will have from the sin that you commit. One of the most hard things for me as a Christian in this world is continuing to see myself sin, to accept things. Even though I know the commands of God so well, I'm a pastor of a church, I should know them better than everybody in the room, but I keep on sinning. I see myself growing in that I don't sin as much as I used to and some things that I used to battle with aren't as much of a problem for me anymore, but I keep on sinning. And so that's where I need to keep looking to the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me from the acid burns that I inflict upon myself. I need to keep washing in him. I still remember at uni when I was uh, doing uh, chemistry, they had uh, in the chemistry lab, they do safety. The first few lessons, the tutorials, they're all about safety. And they had a sink that I'd never seen one of these sinks before. They didn't have them in the science labs at high school. And it was a sink where it had two spouts of water and they pointed directly at one another. It's like, what's the point of that? As if you get an acid burn in the eyes and you've got to put your head there and you, you wash your eyes out so that you can save your eyes potentially. You get over there and they turn it on if you get an acid burn in your eyes. That's what we need to keep doing with Christ- as Christians. We need to keep holding up the scripture, avoiding what acid we can, being as safe as possible. But when we burn ourselves, quickly, quickly, quickly go to Jesus Christ and wash in his blood. I'm sorry, Jesus. I've messed up again. Please forgive me. Stop the acid burns in my life. Wash me. Neutralize that acid so that I am safe in your arms. We need to look to him continuously because we can keep on sinning in this world until we get to the next world where sin is no longer a problem for us. We need to keep relying on the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, hold up the pages of scripture to avoid as much acid burns as possible. That's what they do in the chemistry lab. They say, you know, do all these other things to avoid ever getting burnt. But yes, sometimes you will get burnt. Those cases, we need to flee to Christ when we find that we burnt ourselves with sin. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who knows what is right and what is wrong. And you tell us so that we can know. You give us your commands so that we know what is helpful for us and what is unhelpful. Lord, we confess that we have often been influenced by others and accepted what is sinful. We followed our father Adam and accepted blindly so often what would actually hurt us. We ask that you would forgive us through Jesus Christ so that the acid of sin doesn't burn in us eternally, doesn't breach our holes and destroy us forevermore. Lord, we pray that we would also use your commands in the future so that we stop hurting ourselves and so that we actually delight in keeping your commands. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not see your commands as prohibitive from pleasure. We would see them as promoting pleasure as we keep them. And, Lord, we pray that our love for Christ would grow all the more as when we see ourselves burnt by the acid of sin, as we flee to him and know his cleansing, know his forgiveness. We pray that we would cherish him 
all the more as a result. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.